morning, and a blessed new year to all of you, and uh, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read the verses uh, 1 through uh, 16, it'll also be on the screen. If you do want to open up your Bibles, you'll note that Matthew 5 comes more, more or less logically after Matthew 4. But in the end of Matthew 4, you find Jesus meeting a whole crowd of people, and they come to him with their needs. They're hungry, they're sick, and so forth. They're suffering, some are paralyzed, some are demon-possessed, and there's a large crowd. There's a large crowd. And that sets the context, and it's really important, I think, for these words, these very familiar words of Matthew chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, let me just stop there for a second, because you note it's a crowd, but in the midst of the crowd... The focus is on them, namely his disciples, his committed followers. And I think that's a really important distinction. It's like, you know, you're the crowd, and Liz talked to the kids, and you got to listen in. And maybe as you listen in, you learn something about intentionality, and you'll get a star with a word that invites you to be gentle and kind, and how will you respond? So Jesus taught them, the disciples. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to ask you a question. How are you dealing with the transition from the old year to the new year? Are you being successful? Transitions are hard. We're going through it in my own home. My wife decided this past week that what was, has been in one shelf in the kitchen for 11 years now has to be in another shelf for who knows how long. In this shelf, where the placemats and all the stuff that goes on the dinner table and the breakfast table, it's now over in this shelf. And every time I set the dinner table, I go to this shelf because I'm not yet used to this shelf. Ever have that happen to you? A change in routine demands transition. You move from house to another house and you have to figure out new routines, new places to put things, new stores to shop at that are convenient. It's a challenge. How are you doing with transitions? I asked my oldest son a couple of weeks ago, what are your New Year's resolutions? And he says, I have never failed to keep one. What? I said to him. He says, I'm 100% when it comes to keeping New Year's resolutions because my resolution is simple. I don't make them. And I thought, yeah, that works. I remember a good friend. Her name was Joanne. They were going to move from one farm to another farm, a smaller farm to a larger farm, a farm with more opportunity for family and children and for growth. And she was really anticipating it. She was looking forward to it. And she said, but I have only one problem. And I said to her, what's that? She said, I have to take myself along. With all my weaknesses, with all my foibles, with all my struggles, I don't leave them behind in the old place. They come with me to the new place and I need to continue to deal with them. Transitions are hard. The disciples discovered this as they came to sit with Jesus who was in the midst of a crowd of people who had a great amount of need. They were hungry, they were sick, they were paralyzed, they were demon-possessed, they were leprous. They had great needs. And Jesus cared for their needs a great deal. One of my favorite biblical stories is found in Mark chapter 5. Jesus has been met by Jairus, or Jairus, however you want to pronounce his name, and he has a little girl who is dying at home. He has a great need, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, yeah, I'll come with you. I'll come and meet your need. And then suddenly he stops in the middle of the crowd. He stops, and he looks around, and he asks a question. Who touched me? And his disciples will think, that's ridiculous. It's a crowd. There's all sorts of people touching you. Now, says Jesus, I felt power. Because someone's hand had snuck through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. 
And power had gone from him because she touched him in faith. She had bled for 12 years. She had become impoverished, paying out doctors who weren't helping her at all. But then she saw and heard about this healer, and he came, and she stuck his hand, her hand through the crowd and touched him. And she was well, and he looks at her, and he says, Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. But can you imagine Jarius' attitude? He would say, why are you stopping? My little girl's dying. And you, you take time to look at someone in a crowd who's not dying. She may be miserable, but she's not dying. What are you doing? If I were Jarius, I'd be really frustrated. But Jesus walks on, and his little girl is fine in time. And the disciples meet this Jesus in the midst of a crowd, and he sits down and he talks to them. And I want to ask you, if you are a follower of Jesus, how are you doing in following him? Are you radiating? Are you making a difference? Are you showing who you are? You say, well, I'm working hard. I'm trying. Because we often misread the Beatitudes. We look at the Beatitudes as a, another set of rules. You've got to be poor in spirit. You've got to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You've got to be meek. You've got to do all of those different things. And frankly, in our culture, the Beatitudes are often seen as a big problem. Because we do not celebrate poverty and meekness and mildness. We think those are symbols of failure. We celebrate possessions. We celebrate positions. We celebrate prestige. We celebrate power. That's what we celebrate. You just saw that unfold if you watch the news, how people quest after power as a speaker was elected in the American House of Representatives and how that went on and on and on. And then when finally the gavel was handed, it was smashed down as if to say, I finally made it. I have recognition. I have prestige. I have power. I have position. I'd like to introduce you to a man by the name of Michael Wilkins. Could we have that picture of Michael? There we go. Michael Wilkins wrote this book. This is not the only book that he wrote, but this is a, a book, a commentary on Matthew. Matthew would barely make up a chapter in the book. But he's written a big book. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael Wilkins. He is a professor of theology at Talbot Theological School. And the interesting thing that he does in this particular book is that he writes himself into the story. This is what he says. He says, Dallas Willard recounts how a woman told him that her son had dropped his Christian identification and left the church because of the Beatitudes. This son, 
a strong, intelligent, military person had had an unhappy experience. As often happens, he had been told that the Beatitudes, with its list of the poor and the sad and the weak and the mild, were a picture of the ideal Christian. He explained to his mother very simply, that's not me. I can never be like that. And Wilkins takes that testimony that Willard writes about and then expands it this way. He says, I understand this young man's experience. In my teens, I also renounced my Christian identity and my church for similar reasons. I clearly remember sitting in youth group meetings where the characteristics of the Beatitude were held up as ideals for us to emulate. I remember snickering in the back row with my buddies as the youth leaders cajoled us to cease being cocky and macho and become meek and mild. The four of us were three sport athletes in high school, and the picture of the Christian life that was held up for us from the Beatitude seemed lamely pathetic. Think about that for a moment. The Beatitudes seem lamely pathetic. pathetic. Then Wilkins graduates from high school. In 1968, where do you think he ends up? the jungles of Vietnam. This is what he writes. Not many years after ruling out the Beatitudes for real life, I sat under the brilliant stars in a jungle in Vietnam and their significance overwhelmed me. I was a member of a cocky, airborne infantry combat battalion. We were a well-trained, exceedingly efficient war machine. One night, as I sat on guard duty after one especially, especially ravaging battle, I experienced the reality of what Jesus addressed in the Beatitudes. I had killed gleefully that day. I had ripped the life from other young men without a twinge of conscience. I saw the bodies of my 19 and 20-year-old squad members ravaged by other young men who were our hated enemies. And yet probably none of us on either side could really offer any adequate explanation for our animosity. That night, I experienced brokenness. I became poor in spirit as I recognized the depth of my depravity and shuddered as I considered the possibility of my fate before God, if he existed. I mourned at the evil in me and at the evil that I saw emerge so quickly in all of us. For the first time in my young life, I understood that I was not the invincible captain of my ship. I could be killed at any moment. So from that very night, I began to realize that there was indeed a very different way to live. I did not articulate it that night in these words, but meekness, righteousness, mercy, purity, and peacemaking all became so much more clearly preferable 
than the way I had been pursuing significance and success. Then he goes back to being an academic. But so revealing. We have our ideas in our culture about what success is until you come face to face with the depravity of your own soul. And then you need to begin to ponder and you begin to think about what do we do and how do we live before God? And Jesus says, it is not by trying. It is not by achieving. If you read carefully the Beatitudes, the only time an imperative mood is set is verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. That's the only time. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. Why? Well, because that's what brings you face to face with the reality of Jesus in your life and why Jesus is in your life. He is in your life to change you. Wilkins goes on in his academic treatise to begin to recognize that it is not that he sought the Lord, but that the Lord was seeking him. You know the hymn, the words of the hymn, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Best definition of the doctrine of election that I know. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. So how is God moving your soul? Jesus is challenging us today to quit trying to achieve and to start being what we already are. Notice that he does not say you have to become salt. He does not say you have to become light. He says you are salt and you are light. It's not an achievement. It's a present reality which is a gift based on his gift to you. His gift of his blood. His gift of his sacrifice. His gift of his resurrection, overcoming Satan and sin. His gift of the Holy Spirit in your life, thereby empowering you to become the people that you are called to be. Radiators. Present change makers. How? By being salty. Now think for a moment about the function of salt. There are many different functions. Salt is essential to health. Without salt in your system, the balance between minerals and water in your life or in your body gets put out of balance and if you don't bring it back into balance you can die. That's how vital salt is. Animals recognize that. This uh, past year, we, or past summer, we had opportunity uh, to visit a place in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia called Hope for Wildlife where a wildlife is brought in and many who've been injured and hurt, and many of them get hurt by being hit by cars along the road. And why do those animals 
tend to come to the road because salt has been spread there in the winter and it's on the grass and they need salt for their diets. Salt's essential for health. Salt is also a flavor inducer and highlighter. We put salt in our food, not too much, lest you destroy it or you pump up your blood pressure. But you put salt on to enhance flavor. But the people in the Middle East to whom Jesus was speaking, the crowds here and the disciples, would have rubbed salt on their meat because salt was used as a preservative in a time when there was no refrigeration. And if you put salt on your meat, then it would slow the growth of bacteria that would destroy the meat. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are there to keep it healthy. You are there to enhance its flavors. You are there to preserve it from moral corruption. You are there to radiate the presence of the Creator God. That's why you are there. So think in terms of not becoming salt, but being salt. And then ask, well, how does that come to evidence? Well, let, just let me ask you to ponder. To ponder the impact of educational systems begun by disciples of Jesus Christ around the world. Lifting people out of uh, ignorance and helping them to be able to uh, marshal their own resources for a better life. Or think about the hospitals and the clinics that have been established and are continuing to be established. Think about operations like Operation Mobilization and its ships like the Dulos and the Logos that go from place to place around the world coming to people who desperately need some medical assistance and being there for periods of time bringing not only healing of the body but the word of the Lord. Or think about the Christian gleaners in our communities around here who take food that would otherwise be thrown out and begin to glean off the parts that aren't so good and then they chop it up and then they dry it and they send that food around the world so that people can have a nutritious soup. You are the salt of the earth. Or think of a ministry like Bethesda taking care of people with special needs and special circumstances. You are the salt of the earth. Don't get polluted by the earth. If you start mixing salt and sand and rock and salt and all that together, you would never dream about putting it on your stake. It would spoil everything. It is no longer good for anything to be trampled underfoot. So keep your focus on Jesus and being who you are by his grace. And you are the light of the world. Stop to think about light. What does light do except drive away the darkness? And when light comes into your world, into your life, it functions like a beacon. We've all seen on the west coast or the east coast or wherever you've been at the ocean the importance of lighthouses, keeping people who are on the ships safe, away from rocks and shoals. When you go home today, in all likelihood you are going to be driving in a car, and there will be lights at intersections, red and amber and green. 
and they warn you about how to conduct yourself. To stop when they're red, to slow down and prepare to stop when they're ang amber, and to go with the green when you've checked each side to make sure no one's ignoring the red light coming the other way. Why? Keeps you safe. Helps you get to your destination. Or, I hope this doesn't happen to you, or when you get into your car after church is over and you turn the key on, a light comes on your dashboard and says, check engine light or check engine warning light. You don't want to see that because that means that tomorrow it will probably cost you money. But lights are there to warn, to guide, to direct, to keep you safe, to radiate, to encourage we are the light of the world because Jesus, who is the light of the world, has come to live in our hearts and our lives by the grace of God. And he gifts us on the Sunday of Epiphany with the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to produce the fruit of his presence in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. Against such things, the Apostle Paul says, there is no law. There's just simply the reality of expressing the new life that is within you. And how can you do that? Well, I would, you know, I noticed that Liz used that word with the children too. We need to be intentional. We need to be intentional. We need to aim for good things. Have you noticed since the advent of COVID that people seem more rude, less kind, less patient? I've certainly noticed that in myself. I've waited so long already, I don't want to wait any longer. And then I need to have a word with myself about being patient and about being kind and about being generous. I want to close by telling you a story about two members of this congregation. Marion and Bill Hoyting were members of the Stratford Christian Reformed Church in 1976 when I was assigned to be their student pastor for a summer. Marion was the church bulletin editor. That meant that on Friday nights, Lucina and I would go there with my handwritten notes for the bulletin, and I would give them over to Marion, trusting that she would type them all out onto Gestetner uh, or whatever she was using and run them off on Saturday, and the bulletin would be ready on Sunday, and she did that faithfully for the whole time of the summer that I was there. Bill was an elder in the church, um, and if for some of you who know him, you, you know that he can be very forthright and enthusiastic. He would come to me from time to time and said, we need to talk about things. And so we would talk about things. And then he shared a story with me that I have never forgotten because it just highlights the importance of intentionality, the importance of preparedness the importance of caring enough to be kind. There was a fellow elder. 
His name was Charlie. Charlie was tall. Charlie had some interesting habits. He would stand and pull up his pants like this all the time. He ran a bicycle shop. He was a great bicycle mechanic. And he was fearful of one of the duties he had to do. It was a church without a full-time pastor. They were without one. And so, and it wasn't 2023 where you can now project them off the screen, right? Um, and, and, and so forth. So elders would have to take turns leading a service and reading a sermon. When I was a kid, we always liked it when one of the elders would read a sermon because he seemed all the time to pick the shortest one. We thought that was a redeeming quality on his part. But Charlie had to read a sermon, and he was absolutely petrified. He said to Bill, I can't do it. Well, Bill said, oh, yeah, you can, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, you pick a sermon to read and prepare, make a copy for me, and I'll read and prepare as well, and I will sit in the second row at the front, and if you get stuck, I'll stand up and help you out. And Charlie said, yeah, we can do that. Charlie didn't need any help. He did just fine, because he knew that there was someone there who cared enough to be kind, to be encouraging. How are you doing as a follower of Jesus on this day? How are you doing as salt? How are you doing as light? Please don't try harder. Please do what Michael Wilson did. This was 1968 where I read from. In 1970, he surrendered. He surrendered to Jesus, and in surrendering to Jesus, he became salt and light. Don't try harder. Just surrender and let Christ flow through you, and it'll make all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for people who stop and care, for disciples who sit at the feet of Jesus and then stand up and walk in his footsteps, who function as salt and light in the world who strive to prevent moral decay, and to be an encouraging presence simply because they have surrendered to Jesus and his love. And so, Holy Spirit, come, dwell in us, dwell amongst us, encourage us, bless us, hold us, embrace us, we pray, so that we may be the people we are called to be. Hear our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, 
the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.